a message. 16 in the book of Hebrews. In chapter 6. A while back, we talked about earlier in the chapter that there were false converts who would fall away into apostasy and could not be renewed. Let his people, part of the visible church, but not truly converted, they ultimately reject Christ and there's no hope for them. A few verses later, the writer says, but that's not you, the saints of God, of you, beloved, that are greater, greater things promised of you. And we looked at those verses. So, you got to take these, this chapter as a whole. Remember that the first divisions, the chapter divisions, were made later. So it's easy to take that verse out of context and not look at the greater context of the whole chapter. And what we see in this chapter is what I think is the contextual key to understand why God promises a greater hope, a salvation for his people. And it's not based on your strength or what I can do or on my faith. But these verses 13 to 20 tell us and as Mark said the outlines in your bulletin is the same one I preach from that because of the shortness of God, the Christian believer, has a sure and confident hope of salvation. Is that good news? Do you believe that? That God promises to you, if you trust in Christ, the sure hope of salvation, not based on your works, your merit, your strength, but it's based on, on God. And so the first point, verses 13 to 18, and I can say, why can the author be confident? The false convert falls away into apostasy. Unless God is merciful and regenerates them, they come to the realization 
that they're not in Christ. And some come to Christ. But the author says, the false convert falls away. But you, beloved, because of the immutable character of God, are kept. And so, our first point is the immutable promise of the immutable God. What did God say to Abraham? And he said, Surely, blessing, I will bless you. Multiply, I will multiply you. We read that from Genesis 22. Abraham, an old man, how can he have children with an old wife? But God said, I will give you a son. And then he said, I'll bless you. And you'll be a blessing to the nations. And your inheritance will be like the stars or the sand that we can't count. Now I ask you, is that a promise from God? Is it not? Then I suggest that God, who is immutable, is eternal, unchangeable, faithful, true. He does not lie, does not break his oath or covenants. When God makes a promise, it's kept. And the scriptures say, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So, do you see this? God makes a promise to Abraham. I have a plan to make you a great nation. I will redeem a people for myself. They will be my sheep. And why is this promise so sure? Well, it's sure because it's based on one, the character of God who does not change. You see, our God is not this tribal God of the pagans. He's not this fickle God of Greek or Roman mythology. He's not a God like the God of Islam who can change but he says I make the promise of salvation based on my character and based on the fact 
that I swear in those. How does God swear an oath? In verse 16, he swore an oath by something, by the greatest thing possible. An oath for confirmation. For then, there's an end of the dispute. You see, God said, I made the covenant. I made an oath. I swear by the oath. The oath can't be breaking, broken because I do not change. I do not lie. So you see this in this chapter. Because of God's character. Because of the unbreakable oath. The promise and oath of salvation is sure. Why does God swear by himself it's simply because who is greater than God who is like the Lord the gods of men are not like our God Jesus is the king of kings the Lord of lords who is like him not the idols. So God said, it's basically saying, you can trust the idols, but there's no hope. But if you trust me, the promise is sure, because in heaven and earth, there's none greater than me, the eternal, self-existent God. In the beginning, God, without it, eternal, spoke, made heaven and earth in six days. The God of power, omniscience, omnipresence, eternal, good, faithful, true. The oath is based on my character. And to take it the next step, the scriptures are given by the inspiration of God as the infallible, inerrant word of God. And so we trust that the scriptures are true. What we're reading is good for us. It's our rule for life and practice. Not because some men made it up, but because the Spirit of God moved men to write down what God wanted. And so, Abraham starts to understand this promise. He sees some of it, but not all of it. But he does see that he has a son, Isaac, who has two sons, Esau and Jacob. 
have become great nations. How can that happen? When you're 99. And you're old, your wife is old. It's not Abraham. It's the power of God. God this is God's sovereign plan. Abraham trusted God. God said, Abraham, go from earth of Chaldees to a place I'll tell you. Back up and move. And I'll show you my will. And Abraham obeyed. Did he understand everything? No. Do we understand everything? No. But the word of God is complete and good and profitable. And the spirit, God helps us. So we can have confidence in what God is telling us. Abraham endured to the end of his life. He didn't see everything. Just as Moses didn't see all the promises. But Abraham saw the working of God in the midst of great trials. He saw God give him the son of a promise. The promise of a blessing. And he says, this is an abundant promise of God. It's an immutable promise based on an immutable counsel of God. See, none of us decided on how to save ourselves. We have a sin problem. We should do something. What should I do to get rid of my guilt? No, we didn't do that. God planned a plan of redemption to redeem a people for himself out of sin. God knew what Adam would do. God knew he would send his son as the redeemer. God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. And so in eternity past, the triune God had a council, Father, Son, and Spirit to plan redemption. A perfect sovereign plan that cannot be broken and will be completed in due time. Brothers and sisters, this is our God. The promise is sure. The plan 
of his counsel is sure. It seems sometimes that the world is just a mess. And where is God? But God is still in control of every detail of our lives. Amen. His counsel is being worked out. He decrees by his counsel all that comes to pass. Amen. Now, again, how do we know this is sure? Because this chapter says, still immutable things. God's character. Is God like an idol? Like a statue? He's alive. Yes, he's alive. He's good, eternal, all those things. It's God's character. And two, it's God's counsel. He cannot lie. He's true. Do you believe these promises? Mm-hmm. Or do you feel sometimes that God's tricking you? Mm-hmm. He didn't really mean that. Mm-hmm. See, Satan said that to Adam and Eve. God's tricking you. He didn't mean that. He's telling you a lot. And they believe Satan. Jesus said, John 6, 47, He who believes in me has eternal life. Do you believe that? Do you believe on Jesus? What's the promise? Eternal life. Not based on what you do, but based on God's work, God's counsel, God's choice. So take comfort in the fact of the work of God, who's faithful and unchanging. Then the second point, because of the immutable character of God. The immutable counsel of his will. What I mean by that is God didn't say, whoops, men made a mistake. They made a mess. I got to go to plan C or plan D. Something went wrong. Now what? No. God knows what man was going to do in sin. And he sent Jesus, the Redeemer, to deal with it. Now, because of these two immutable things, our next point in verses 18 to 20 is the believer in Christ as a sure hope. A sure promise. A consolation. Are you 
today a believer in Christ. Amen. Yes. Yes. Then I want to say to you, based on the word of God, God promises to you a definite, sure hope of salvation. So take consolation in the times of trouble. Your God, your Father, your Lord has not forgotten you. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> A strong consolation he mentions in verse 18. And he offers this <clears throat> to those who have taken refuge in Christ. Jesus is our shelter in the time of the storm. Jesus is our rock. He's the ark that we flee to. Again, this little bit different metaphor. Have you taken refuge in Christ? Or do you look to something else? Or do you say, well, I have Jesus, but I want Buddha to. Or I want Muhammad to. Or I want this also. Many people want to add to Jesus. But we're called to take refuge in Christ, our rock of salvation, our rock in the midst of the storms. He promises in verse 19 that there's a hope. Again, do you have days that you doubt? Sometimes. Is God good? All the time. How come it's hurting so much? How come I'm sick? How come I lost my job? How come the nation's a mess? How come there's this war? Sometimes we lose hope, don't we? But the Word of God is calling us to look back, not to ourselves, not to our own strength, but to our refuge, Christ. There's hope in Christ. Our sure hope. Not a maybe. We use the word hope well, I hope the Phillies win. I hope I win the lottery. I hope this happens. That's not what the Bible's talking. The author is saying, because God is immutable. Because his counsel is sure. 
the promise, the hope of salvation is sure to his people because he chose us. He redeemed us. He called us. He justified us. He glorifies us. And our refuge is Christ, whom Satan could not defeat. Satan thought he had him at the cross. That was Friday, but on Sunday, Christ was alive. Because the Holy One of God could not see corruption. He talks of it in this verse, this steadfast hope, because this Christ is the presence of God who entered into the veil of veils. In the most holy place where there was a curtain separating, the high priest could only go in once a year on the day of atonement. But when Christ died, that storm, and he's indicated Christ, the Son of God, enters into the presence of the Father mm-hmm. because he's the righteous one. And God the Father is satisfied with this provision for sin. In verse 20, we take refuge in Jesus. Jesus is the one who's the forerunner. He's gone before us. We're said, follow Jesus. Christ, uh, Paul said, imitate me as I follow Christ. Christ has gone before us. He tasted death. He did die, didn't he? He was buried. He suffered. He spent three days in the grave. But he was raised with power on the third day. Who can do that? But the Son of God. Where is the body of Buddha today? Where is the body of Muhammad? Dust. Dust. Some Islamic scholars say that parts of Muhammad's body was distributed across the Islamic world. I don't know if that's true. But he's not alive. Where's Joseph Smith and Charles Russell? Where are these false prophets? Jesus, our refuge, is the true prophet, the true priest of God. And he went to taste death, and he conquered it. 
What does that mean? That means there's that shura that the promise of your resurrection upon death, yes, we may still be alive when he comes, but there's that promise that we'll be raised to new life with bodies fit for that realm, with our souls, our spirits, in the presence of God, the sure of. You see, people confuse these things. Don't I have to add something to the work of Jesus? Don't I need indulgences and years of prayers? about purgatory. Don't I need this practice? There's nothing you can do. Yes, it's just superstition. You're right, Paul. It's complete in Jesus because he was righteous and he paid the legal penalty for sin and conquered death. They looked in the tomb. Who was there? An angel, but not a dead body. Jesus was alive and witnessed by many. And so the writer says in verse 20, because Christ is the forerunner, He secured redemption and salvation for you and me. Because this Jesus is an anchor for our soul. That's a great metaphor. Hang on. You know, an anchor is a heavy piece of metal chained to the ship that you drop in the harbor into the seabed so the ship does not drift. What will keep you from drifting? The anchor of Christ. Not yourself, not your strength, not some other teacher. It's Christ who anchors you, solidifies you, gives you sure hope. Will you rest in that? <clears throat> and the last verses say, <clears throat> that this Jesus is the great high priest of God. You see, there were priests in the old covenant. But this Jesus, 
is, is not like Aaron. It's not like Levi. He's different. He's of the order of Melchizedek. And in coming sermons, we'll look at the priesthood of Christ. Chapter 7, 8, 9. But he's introducing this right now that the anchor of our souls is the great priest of God. The Lamb of God took away the sin of the world. Not only the Lamb, but the priest who suffered, but was raised with power. No other priest necessary. No other temple is needed. No other temple needs to be rebuilt because Christ completes the sacrifice mm -hmm. and fulfills the law. So I'm calling you be anchored in Christ. Find your rest in Christ. Take refuge to Christ. Flee the Christ. Not something else. Because Christ is the anchor. The firm foundation. Because, again, he conquered death. Where does Christ sit? Beside God. We read it in Acts 2. The Lord, Yahweh, said to Adonai, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit on my right hand, and I will make all the nations to be your footstool. That's our Jesus, our King. He soon will return. Maybe today, I hope, but he's our anchor, so take refuge in Christ. Couple action points at the bottom of your outline. For future study, read chapters 7, 8, and 9. And we'll look at this priesthood. Then second, believe the word of God. Believe the promises of an unchanging God. What God spoke is true. It comes to pass in his timing, in his way. Because God is true and faithful, immutable. Then get Jesus, the only anchor of our soul. So abide in Jesus. John 15 says, I am the true vine. You are a branch placed in me. The branch is just to abide where it's been placed. 
in Christ. The good, true vine. Find your rest in Christ. Christ is sufficient. Don't add to him. Don't subtract from him. One last action point. It's very clear in chapter 6. There's a judgment for unbelief. For those who fall away. Just as it's clear there's a sure hope of salvation for the believer. There's a sure judgment for those who reject this Christ. So, we must have a concern for people around us, for our co-workers, our neighbors, our friends, for the world. To preach Christ, the only hope of salvation. So we must pray for people to be saved. We must pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. We must pray for men to preach Christ. We must pray for opportunities to bear witness of this good news, this hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the power of this passage. That in Christ, we have a sure refuge, a sure hope, not based on what we could do, but on Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> For being our hope, our salvation, our redeemer, our consolation. May we represent Christ Jesus in this world this week. May we be strengthened by the promises of the word of God in Christ's name.